You saw the message title is Our Standing in Grace. Our Standing in Grace. Right now I'm standing, right? I'm standing. I'm not talking about that kind of standing. I'm not talking about the vertical posture. I'm talking about our position. Our position in grace. Our standing in grace. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 9, here's how the Bible reads. But because of his great love for us, I mean, you could just marinate there for a little while if you wanted to. Because of his great love for us, everything is birthed out of daddy's love. Everything comes out of daddy's love. But because of his great love for us, God, God, and then it says, who is rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy. Oh, thank you, Lord, for being rich in mercy. I need mercy. And the Bible says his mercies are new every day. In other words, you can't run out of mercy. Mercy is chasing you. The Bible says goodness and mercy are going to follow you all the days of your life. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions. What a time to do it, huh? <laughs> he made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. And I love what this next verse says. It says, it is by grace you have been saved. It's by grace. God's unmerited, undeserved, uncommon, unequaled, unmatched favor. You have been saved. And God raised us up. Not just Christ, but he raised us up with Christ. And here's the amazing thing. It says, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So we have a standing, but the Bible says we're also seated with Christ in heavenly realms. Oh, I love that. Why are we seated with Christ? Because Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. He seated us with Christ in heavenly realms in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches. Get those two words and just kind of fasten them in your mind for a second. Incomparable riches. There's nothing that's even close to God's riches. And there's nothing that is even on the same page with God's riches. They're incomparable that he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Now, isn't that amazing that God has to tell us that? And then he says, here's how they're expressed. They're expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That's how he expresses them, in kindness. You know, it's one thing to talk about grace. It's one thing to talk about his love. It's one thing to talk about his mercy. But he has ways he expresses it. Oh, you know, I know we've all had opportunities where God has expressed his love and his grace and his mercy and his kindness and his, his riches. Don't ever forget those things. He's so awesome. And then verse 8 and verse 9 are the two verses that we hear quoted so much. And it says, for by grace are you saved. Watch this now, through faith. And that's kind of what I want to start talking about today. For by grace are you saved through faith. Faith. Now, if there was something else that saved you, I think it would have behooved God to put it in right there. Don't you think so? There should have been a comma, and then it should have said, by reading your Bible, comma, <laughs> by going to church, comma. You could just keep moving to the right, comma, comma, comma. It sounds like that Boy George song, comma, 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 chameleon, you know? <laughs> you know, God is not a chameleon where he changes left and right. I, there's no commas. He says, for by grace have you been saved through faith. You know why that gives me hope? Because I don't have this big laundry list. I don't have this big checklist of things I've got to do to be right with God. He saved me by faith. It was his love. It was his grace. Yes, that did it. On my part, it was just a simple will of my faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. And he says, listen, just so that we've got it straight here, not of yourselves. He's already told us it's just by faith. But he's also saying, there's nothing else you can add to this. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So what is he doing? He's saying the same thing three different ways. It's the gift of God, not of works, so that no man can go out and brag about this. You can't brag about it. In fact, everything you guys do on the mission trip next week, you won't be able to come back and brag about it. You'll come back and like the Apostle Paul and say, listen, when I boast, I boast in the Lord. I boast in the Lord when I brag. I want to draw attention to my Jesus. It doesn't matter if you know him or not. I want to draw attention to my Jesus. 
Now, I think there's a conspiracy going on here because it seems like every time Sarah plays that Let My Words Be Few song, i got to preach that Sunday. <laughs> and you know what? I can't let my words be few. It's just not, it's not who I am. I mean, I just, I like to sing about all of His goodness. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote. He said, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. And what did I tell you about the name of the message was? It was our standing in grace. He's going to get all over grace here in just a minute. But let me read it again. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Now, he's talking about the gospel. He hasn't mentioned grace yet, but I'm going to tell you something today. You cannot have the gospel without grace. They're a package deal. If you get the gospel, and I mean you receive the gospel, you've just received grace. On the other hand, you can't have grace and not it be good news, right? I mean, that's what the gospel means. It means good news. See, that's what our standing is in grace is. It's good news. It's good news that we can broadcast. It's good news that we can sow to the whole world everywhere we go. Is he talking to believers or unbelievers? It's believers, isn't it? How do you know? Because he says, now, brothers and sisters. So he's talking to the church. He's talking to believers here. Yesterday when we were sitting in class uh, here in, at Karis Bible College, we heard a minister quoting another minister of some sort that he said, he said this. He said, the gospel shouldn't be preached twice to anyone until it's at first preached once to everyone. I'm going to tell you something. I totally disagree with that. And so did the Apostle Paul. But he says, listen, I want to remind you of the gospel. In other words, the word remind literally means I want to put you in memory of this. It's kind of like when I thought about remind, I thought about rewind. I mean, they're, they're kind of one and the same. You know, it's like, you know, do you remember when I was here last year and I talked to you about the goodness of God? Yep. So let's just rewind. Let's go back a year. You know, I preached about the goodness of the Lord. And the five years before that, I preached about the goodness of the Lord. I can't quit preaching about the goodness of the Lord. I may come here. I may not tell you anything different. But one thing you're going to get when I leave here is I'm preaching about the grace of the Lord, the goodness of the Lord. I'm putting you in, re in remembrance of that. I know we've been over this material before. I know we've exposed this revelation of God before. Triumphant Grace Ministries, our ministry is to remind you of the gospel. It's to remind you of the message of grace. Every single time you come, to remind you of the goodness of the Lord. So, we've said this before, we'll say it again. We preach the same message every single week, but we package it differently, don't we? We package it differently. We use different scriptures, different stories, different situations to package it differently. You've heard me talk about the Life Center, that outreach mission program that we had from Faith Center and uh, what we used to do at, at Life Center is the doors would open at 9 o'clock and we would serve people food and clothing and, and everything else and prayer until about 12.30, 1 o'clock and then we'd have to close the doors. We had as many as 400 and some families come through in a three to four hour period. That's a lot of people. That's well over a thousand people. It was quite an orchestration. It was all ran by volunteers and there were as many as, uh, well there were as few as 15 or 20 that would show up and as many as 40 some. But before we opened the doors on Life Center, we sat underneath the Word. It wasn't just to pump you up your emotions, it was to put something in you because there's a lot of ungrateful people. And believe me, if you just get up in the morning and throw your britches on and come and think you're going to serve at a Life Center or a Grace Center or anything else and you haven't, you haven't met with the Lord, you know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be religious here, but what I'm saying is letting Him soften you and letting Him just love on you and stuff like that because what He gives you, you have the ability to give away. We would do a devotional period that lasted 30 minutes. From 8.30 till 9, we would do devotions. And for about the last five years, I had the wonderful privilege of ministering the devotion most of the time, two to three times a month. But I remember this. I'll never forget this. A believer came to me one time, and he said afterwards, he said, Pastor Mark, boy, you, you really, I, I love your, your style. I love your preaching and stuff like that. I love all the stories you tell and stuff like that. But, and he was serious. He said, but when are you going to talk about something other than God's love or God's grace? And I looked at him and I said, what is there left to talk about? What is left to talk about? I mean, I was bewildered. I said, what? I said, now let me tell you something, man. If you're on your deathbed or your sickbed, how is 15 bullet points on how to 
prepare your IRS tax form I'm going to help you. You know, listen, man, you need to know about God's love and his incomparable riches and his mercy. Can you imagine someone even saying that to me? And it was just grace that I gave him back. So what we do is we come and we talk about God's love and his mercy and his grace and his incomparable riches. But we've heard this about grace ministries, you know, Joseph Prince and Creflo Dollar and this ministry even. We hear, well, you just kind of keep talking about the same things over and over again. Let me tell you, life has repetition to it. Let me ask you something. If you had to have heart surgery, would you be thankful that your doctor stuck to what he (laughs) already knew and didn't decide just to go out and in the middle of the process and just kind of experiment with something? You wouldn't want that to happen. You know, heart surgeons, Do the same thing over and over and over. You know, that's all we are. We're heart surgeons. They they do the same thing over, and aren't you thankful that they do? Brain surgeons do the same thing. They go to the job. You know, when when they come home and and the wife says, honey, how was your day? You know, it's just another day at the office. I'm sure they say that. Even though if we sat in on one of those procedures, we'd be like, wow, whoa. If you take your car to the auto mechanic, you know what they do? They do the same things over and over and over again. Let me tell you something. When you go to the grocery store, guess what? You'll buy the same food that you bought the week before. You'll buy the food the next week, the same stuff you ate last week. We all do that, don't we? Year after year after year, we never get tired of buying that same food, do we? No. We eat the same stuff over and over. There's some repetition. So to say to someone, why are you preaching about God's love and God's grace over and over again? Why don't you preach about something else? I just say to them, listen, you might want to start your own church. There ain't no preaching about anything but his love and his grace and all that good stuff at this place here. I uh, sold one of my products to a man in Canada here a couple of months ago, and I was intrigued by the name of his farm. The name of his farm was Jira Farms, J-I-R-E-H, Jira Farms. You, You recognize that, don't you? And I said to him after we got the sale finalized, I said, okay, I got one last question to ask you. I said, what's the inspiration for the name of that farm? There was a short pause, and here's what he said. It's who we are. It's who we are, is what he said to me. You know, the word Jireh means God has provided. We say Jehovah Jireh. He will always provide. Never an opportunity that he will not provide for. He provided his mercy. He provided his grace, as you saw there in the scriptures. He provided his love for us. He provided the incomparable riches. He did it through his son, Jesus. Why? So that we could have a standing in grace, so that we could have a position in grace. Continuing in verse 10, here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, no. He said, I worked harder than all of them. Now, who's he talking about? He's talking about the other apostles. He said, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, he says, but the grace of God that was with me. Now, it was Paul doing the preaching. He had to open his mouth. He had to take the journeys from town to town. Yes, it was Paul. But you know what he said? It wasn't really me that was doing it. It was this grace that was empowering me to do it. Friends, as you go on the mission trip, I'm going to tell you, you're going to find a grace, an extravagant grace that's going to be at work empowering you to do what you think you can't do. That grace will empower you. And the Apostle Paul says, it really wasn't I, but it was grace, really, that was in me. And then he says, whether then it is I or they, that is what we preach, he said. And this is what you have believed. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news. The good news. Oh, my, 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 my. The good news. It's the good news of God. And he says, I worked harder. Triumphant Grace Ministries does not propagate a message of lazy grace. We're not about that. You always hear us talking about resting in Christ. Just rest in the Lord. Just rest in this goodness of the Lord. It's it's about a finished work. Yes, it's about a finished work. His work is finished. Our work is not. It's not about us being lazy. I said to someone recently, you ever seen dreadlocks on somebody? You know how you get those? Just don't comb your hair. That's That's how you get them. You just put them in a knot or two and just don't comb it. And I guarantee you'll end up with dreadlocks at some point in time. So we're not saying don't comb your hair. We're saying, yeah, there's things to do. And so if we said to ourselves, you know what? I just think, you know, combing my hair takes an extra three minutes a day to comb it, put hairspray on it, do all the things you got to do to pretty it all up. I think I'm going to leave that alone. I'm just going to let grace take care of that. 
You come see me in a year, and I'm going to tell you, I, I guarantee I'll be looking at somebody with dreadlocks. Because grace doesn't do everything for you. Grace empowers us to do it. And that's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, wait a minute, I worked harder than anybody. Yet not I, but it was the grace of God working in me, is what he said. As we continue in Ephesians, what we see is what the Apostle Paul said, for we are God's handiwork, or whatever he said. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. God says, listen, I have prepared the way. Grace has made the way for you. Walk in that grace. In Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, we see these words. It says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace, which we now stand. He, there, there it is again. He said, we're standing because of this grace. Into this grace which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we glory in our sufferings. <laughs> Wait a second, time out. You saw this build up there for a second. It reminded me as I was thinking about this message this week, it was kind of like this infomercial. You know, you watch these infomercials and the more they talk and stuff like that, they start talking about all the, the benefits of this product they're using and all the things it will do. Wait, there's more. Wait, there's more. And then if you buy now, you get three easy payments of this. You buy right now, we're going to throw in free freight. You buy right now, wait a minute, we're going to double your offer. This is kind of was the build up here. It says, wait a minute, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that's good, isn't it? We have peace with God. That's good. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, wonderful. Uh, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace which, which we now stand. Wonderful. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Awesome. But then it throws this big curveball. Not only so, he says, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. What? <laughs> what would you do here, Apostle Paul? No, that's in the Word, isn't it? But he goes on to explain it. He said, let me tell you why. He says, because suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. There are people, I know Andrew always talks about falling apart like a $2 suitcase. You've heard him say that and stuff like that. But it's true. There are people that, even believers that fall apart like that $2 suitcase when, when trials come and situations come. When the desert presents itself, you don't have to. Put your eyes on Jesus. Put your eyes on the Savior. Put your eyes on the grace man. He says, suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And he says, and hope does not disappoint us. And he goes on to tell you why it doesn't disappoint us. He said, because God has poured out his love into our hearts. How? By the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. And so when I was looking at these scriptures right here, I thought, Lord, if I had to run one of those grueling 26-mile marathons, oh, oh man, I hope I'd never have to run one of those. But if I had to go out and run one of these grueling 26-mile marathons where it feels like all your body parts are going to fall off like Legos, you know, if I had to go do something like that, what would I want on my iPod? What would I want playing right there to inspire me? And I'll be honest with you, the first thing that came to my mind was a theme song for Rocky. Do you guys remember Rocky? Dun, da, da, dun, da, da, dun. You know, I, mean, it was, I remember when that show first came out, man, I was just so pumped up, man. I wanted to do push-ups, one-arm push-ups like Rocky, man. I wanted to go out and start running, and I did too, man. It had a, that kind of an effect on guys because it just, there was something about that guy. He had this this, uh, this humbleness about him, this humility about him, you know, and he wanted to really just to feed his family, take care of his wife and his baby. It's not that he, he just wanted to box, but he wanted to take care of his family. And I thought, is that the song I would want playing, the theme from Rocky? And then I thought about it for a second. I thought, no, that is not the theme I would want playing in my iPod. If I was going to run a 26-mile marathon, it would be the theme from Romans playing in my iPod. I'm telling you because it just doesn't get any better than listening to something like that. Therefore, he says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, who we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice or glory in our sufferings because we know suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope and hope will never 
never disappoint me. When I'm on the 18th mile, I can just say hope will never disappoint me. When I'm on the 21st mile, I know all of us have been uh, times in life where spiritually speaking, we feel like we're running this marathon. Listen, get used to it. You're on a marathon. This is not a sprint. This is a journey. This is a marathon journey that we're on as believers in Christ. But he uses these words, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Now, what the Apostle Paul is not saying, he is not saying we rejoice when it comes time to suffering. He's not saying that. He's not saying we look forward to suffering coming our ways. Suffering comes, friends. It comes at times in our life. He's not saying we look forward to that. But he says, in the midst of that, when it does come, he said, it doesn't change me. He says, I still have an attitude of gratitude, even when that's going on in my life. It's, a, it's something I don't like when my calves are burning and everything is screaming, stop, 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 stop right here, stop right now. I need a drink, whatever it may be. He says, listen, I put great hope in knowing my God. I thought about our journey as believers. We're kind of a lot like Rocky. There's just sometimes you take shots to the ribs. You know what I'm talking about? There's things that will come and mess with your mind, mess with your head, in other words. There's just stuff that will come and, and try to get in your head. I'll tell you what one of them is, and that's religion. <laughs> religion. Religion is the biggest head messer with, <clears throat> if that's such a word, in your life, or the mixture gospel even. There's just things that will come and will mess with your head. There's times when you feel like throwing in the towel. There's been times over the years where, I want to be honest with you, where I've grown weary in well-doing. There has been times where I've grown weary in well-doing. It wasn't for a long season, but it was for a short season. But I grew weary in well-doing. I didn't feel like I had enough strength to face another day, or in Rocky's case, another realm. There's been times that we've had the wind knocked out of us. You ever had the wind knocked out of you, spiritually speaking? You ever had that happen? You ever been sucker punched? I mean, just a second, you weren't looking for it, and all of a sudden it came in and got you. Listen, those things can happen sometime. I've come by today to tell you, I'm still standing. You're still standing. Are you still standing? You are still standing. I'm still standing. I'm going to tell you why. It's because we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And every time you see that word grace, you can just interchange that word for Jesus. They are one and the same. I know they're two different English words, but they are one and the same. You see grace, you might as well just say, we've gained access by Jesus. If you see Jesus, you can say, we've gained access by grace. They are just interchangeable words. Like someone could call me daddy. Someone can call me father. My kids sometimes call me father. Sometimes they call me daddy if they really want something bad. Daddy, you know, sometimes it's just dad. Sometimes it might be pops, whatever it may be. They're still talking to the same guy, right? Grace and Jesus, same exact thing. Our standing in grace. So why remind people over and over of God's love and God's grace? Why do that? Because if we fail, or we cease, should I say, to preach the gospel of grace, to preach about his extravagant love, to preach about his outrageous generosity, things I've been talking about, to preach about his incomparable riches, what happens is we lose ground. You don't lose your salvation, but you lose ground. Let me, let me explain that. You can take the most manicured lawn in the world, have you ever had a lawn that was so nice? Probably didn't belong to you. It might have belonged to your rich friend. But it was so nice. It was just so plush. It, he had the weed and feet on there. It was just so nice. Is there anything that feels better than to walk barefoot through really nice grass? I mean, it's just cut at the right level. It's nice and thick and plush. And all the little twigs and rocks, there's nothing sharp. Does that feel good under your feet? Isn't that awesome? Imagine a lawn like that. We'll just say it belongs to this gentleman right here. Okay, Lauren, you got a lawn like that. And Steve lives next door to you, and he could care two cents about his lawn. So you got this awesome lawn, incomparable rich lawn. He's got a devastated lawn. He's got the creeping Charlie you don't. He's got the, we used to call them picker bushes. I don't know what they're called, cactus, little, little plants, you know, that would poke you. As kids, we called them picker bushes. And so watch out for the picker bush, brother. Watch out for the picker bush. He's got picker bushes in his yard. I guarantee, I guarantee this, leave your lawn alone for a while. Just cut it and trim it. No weed and feed, nothing special. I guarantee your lawn will end up looking like his. It will. See, that's what grace does. Grace keeps coming in, fertilizing your soul, fertilizing your mind, fertilizing everything of you, that you are, so that when you go out, you can go out even prettier than you came in. I'm, listen, you know, I'm, you get my point. Prettier than you came in. You should always leave church feeling better than when you came in. Otherwise, you're in the wrong church. 
that's what I'm talking about. We lose ground if we're not sitting under this waterfall. I'm not talking just about at church, but I'm talking about in your, in your devotional time, your prayer time. We, you want that word, that word of grace just to keep cleansing, washing your mind over and over again. Amen? So, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as where we were at, when we skip over verse 2 for a minute, we'll come back to it. He tells you what the good news is. What is the good news? Here's what the Apostle Paul says. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. He's saying, listen, what I received from the Lord, I found it to be of first importance. In other words, a priority to pass on to you. What is it? And he says what it is. He says that Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, that's what he says. He uses those words, according to the scriptures. He says, this is the good news, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That's the gospel, but that's an incomplete gospel. Because if all Jesus did was die for our sins and that was it, that would be an incomplete gospel. He goes on to say, he not only died for our sins, but he was buried. <laughs> and now we're getting closer to a full gospel. But still we lack something if we just say Christ died and Christ buried because there's a, a lot of other religions, should I say, that have put their faith in men that died and was buried and they're still in the grave. Our Jesus is not in the grave. So we still have an incomplete gospel, but it's starting to come to a head when he says, listen, he not only died for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried, but on the third day he rose from the grave. <laughs> oh, I love that. As according to to the scriptures. Now, that's a gospel. That's the gospel that Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose from the dead. But then verse 5 says this here's where the gospel means something to you. And then he says, and he appeared to Peter. You see, Christ died for the whole world, didn't he? He died for every human being, yet not everybody is saved. But when he appears to you, the Bible says he appeared to Peter. Now I want you to think about what just got said there. Outside of Judas betraying Jesus, who was next in, in line? It was Peter. That was a hard betrayal. I mean to say, I don't even know the man. Three times, I, I don't know him, I wasn't with him. And they said, wait a minute, your speech betrays you. That's a hard betrayal. Peter was really right on the heels, if you will, of Judas. The difference was Judas went out and hung himself. Peter repented. But it's amazing that when Jesus rose from the dead, that the scripture says, he first appeared to Peter. Wow, you know what that gives me? That gives me such hope. Peter was the only one living at that point in time. Judas was already in the grave. He would have been the only man living that betrayed him to the extent that Peter did. Ooh, and Jesus said he first appeared to Peter. Can you see the love in his eyes saying, Peter? And Peter's trying to probably come up with all these excuses. Why he did that just to save his own hide. Whatever he's trying to come up with. And he just says, shh, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Love never fails. He appeared to Peter first of all the people. If someone betrayed you like that, would you go to them first? Or would they kind of be now kind of way down the list, maybe even last on your list? I mean, think about if someone hard betrayed you, someone really did you wrong, and then you happen to show up at an event that's got a hundred people at it, and you see that person there, is that really the first person you're going to go to? I mean, let's just be human, okay? It might be in certain situations if you're listening to the Holy Spirit, but there'll be a tendency to go, oh, there he is, <laughs> there she is, and, you know, I'll see if they want to come to me. Jesus didn't even wait for Peter to find him. Jesus said, I got to find Peter i got to find Peter. And he found Peter. And then the Bible says after he had did that, he showed himself to the twelve. Back to verse 2 in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, By this gospel, by this good news, he says, you are saved. And of course, we've talked about this word saved. It's the word sozo, S-O-Z-O in the Greek. It means you not only receive salvation, but he says it's by this gospel you are healed. It's the same gospel that saved you, that heals you. By this gospel, you're delivered. By this gospel, you prosper. By this good news, all of these virtues come to you. 
But as I read this scripture, I'm like, oh Lord, I got to deal with something in here. I got to deal with something because we come across scriptures like this that we hear that, we hear that good news like that. The gospel saved you. But then right after it says, by this gospel you are saved, it uses that word if. If. And so we know that's a conditional statement. It says, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Now, if you're not careful, you'll take that scripture and you'll go, see right there, you could lose your salvation. Because the Bible just said, you are saved by the gospel if you hold firmly to the word. You know, this is not a scary scripture. The words hold firmly literally mean possess. If you possess. And the word is just another expression, another name for Jesus. So basically what that scripture is saying, by this good news, are you saved, healed, delivered, prospered, salvation, if you possess Christ? And listen, when you invite Christ to come and live in your heart, guess what? He's not going anywhere. And so what the Apostle Paul was saying, I came and shared the good news with you. If you just receive that good news, if you just receive Christ, you are saved to the very end. What he's saying, he says, if you're trying to put your trust if you're trying to put your faith in anything or anyone else to save you, you have believed in vain. That's all he's really saying. If you try to put your faith in Jesus plus all these works, you've just believed in vain. That's all. That's not the way we believe. We believe that we are saved by grace and we are kept by grace. He is eternal life. Nothing can change that. And then he says in verse 6, so he's appeared to Peter, he's appeared to the twelve, and then he says, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. That's an amazing scripture. That's verse 6 of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Here's what I heard the Lord say. You might be able to get five people alive for you, and keep a secret, but you can't get 500. You might have be close enough to, with people to get 50 people who like you to keep the deepest, darkest secret that you've, you've shared with them a secret for the lifetime. You can't get 500 people. I guarantee it. You could take 500 people that you think you're close to, tell them something that you really wouldn't want the whole world to know. I assure you, before the sun sets, it'll be on Facebook. I guarantee it. I heard the Lord say, Triumphant Grace Ministries will preach to more than 500 people at the very same time this message of grace. Now, I'm in no hurry necessarily to make that happen. I'll wait on the timing of the Lord, but I heard the word of the Lord say that, that this ministry will stand and will declare it as a congregation to much more than 500 people. Amen. So, Here's the question I wrote down as the Lord was ministering. What's the difference if a minister takes 500 scriptures to show you this message of grace or the man of grace himself takes 500 people <laughs> to show you grace? Is there any difference? Neither, there's no difference, is there? That's what we do. We take 500 or 5,000 or 50,000, whatever it may be. We take hundreds and hundreds of scriptures to just keep showing you Jesus. That's all we're doing. Hundreds, 500,000, whatever it may be, just to keep showing you the goodness of God. Oh, my goodness. Verse 3 says, Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. In other words, what they were saying, it had been prophesied. This is what happened. It was prophesied in the book of Psalms. It was prophesied in Isaiah. It's prophesied in other places in, in Zechariah. It was prophesied exactly how he would die on a tree. He'd be crucified. It was prophesied in the Old Testament. They didn't use his name, but it was prophesied. Then the Bible says in verse 7, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. The Apostle Paul saying, He appeared to me. As to one abnormally born. And then in verse 9, he seems to be, be digressing a little bit, but he's really not. But he says, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But, remember I've told you before, but is the eraser. You know, I love you, brother, but. Now, you, you just forget what they just said. I love you. Now, what's coming after but? But you get on my nerves. But is the eraser. 
The apostle Paul said, I don't need to even deserve to be an apostle. I persecuted the church. But then he uses that conjunction, but. Well, I'm more interested in what comes after but. He said, I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God. There's that grace again. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace, his grace to me was not without effect. What was the Apostle Paul saying? The Apostle Paul was saying, when his grace started working in my life, it brought change. He was saying, it wasn't without effect. When grace begins to work in your heart, Steve, you told me as we were talking on the phone this week how much you felt like you've grown even in this last year uh, sitting under the message of grace. You know what I said to you back? I said, I feel like I've grown. My wife feels like she's grown because we're sitting, we weren't preaching these messages anywhere. These are all fresh messages that God's been giving us weekly. We feel like we're growing in grace and that's what we're supposed to do. That we're always continually growing in His love and His, His grace. Grace is a love story about trusting the Father. Grace is a love story about trusting Daddy. I read the story recently of a, of a daddy who took his son, Zach, a little guy, and they decided to go out in the open country and do some rock climbing. They were climbing around on the bluffs and just, just kind of hiking up and down these rocks. And they were pretty high, so the daddy was very careful to watch Zach. I mean, he's a little guy. He doesn't want Zach falling. But when they got down to, within, to the ground and, and the daddy was leading and Zach was still up maybe about 10 feet, the daddy finally got down on the ground and then all of a sudden he heard these words, hey, Dad, catch me. And he said he turned around and Zach was already flying through the air. See, Zach had already jumped before he even said, hey, Dad, catch me. And his dad just barely caught him in time and they both fell to the ground. And he got up and they kind of dusted each other off and stuff like that. And he said to his son, Zach, can you give me one really good reason why you did that? It's <laughs> a good question to ask your son. His son, Zach, responded with remarkable calmness, and he says, sure, because you're my dad. Because you're my dad, and I've learned to trust you, Daddy. And that should be the heartbeat of every believer, that we would learn to trust Daddy. And as we sit under his word of, of grace and mercy, every time you go to the word and you can see, God is always good. Show me where he's bad. He's not bad. When we were coming to school, when our, our school used to be on the, over by the lake in a church, we'd have come all the way down Highway 50 here, all the way down to Sheridan. And one night, we saw this man walking his German shepherd. And I couldn't figure it out because from a distance, I'm like, what? It, just, it was kind of a weird picture because it looked like the harness was around its hips, not its neck. And as, as we got closer, sure enough, the harness was around his hips, his back hips, a German Shepherd. I love German Shepherd, my favorite dog. One thing as I went by, I'm like, that's right. German Shepherds will usually lose their back hips as they age. And that's a lot of times why they get put down is because they can't walk or they're always squealing. I've known some beautiful German Shepherds that have been put down because of that. And I thought, what mercy! What a display of mercy that the owner of that dog, he, would take, he was taking that leash and he was, he was holding up on the back end of that dog just so his feet would touch the ground enough so he wouldn't walk in pain. That's mercy. That's a picture of the goodness of the Lord. He's always looking for ways to be merciful. And so when we look in the Word, and even if we don't understand, it looks like in the Old Testament God was harsh. Listen, God has never been harsh. He gave people what they asked for. They said, listen, we want to live by a set of rules. You give us these rules. We're, we're capable of obeying everything you, you tell us to do. Oh, man, are you kidding me? You weren't capable of getting through one day. He's merciful. He's very merciful. So the answer is always yes and amen, Daddy. When I see the goodness of the Lord in Scripture, yes, I see the goodness of the Lord. Yes, Daddy. What is this grace? This grace is a person. His name is Jesus Christ. And my Bible tells me that I stand in Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 2. Whom also we have gained access by faith into this grace, which we now stand. Amen? The word stand comes from the Greek word histemi. Histemi. That's the Greek word for stand. It means to abide. It means to be established. 
Strangely enough, it means covenant. So when it says, I stand in Christ, it's saying, I have a covenant with Christ. It says, I'm established. You know what established things do? They don't move. You just go look at an old building one time, and it will say up on the top. Some of them used to say established, 1901. It was saying, listen, we were built in 1901. Guess what? We're in the exact same spot as we was when we were built in 1901. We've been established. We don't move. We have our moving in Christ. When he moves, we move. And he empowers us to move in grace. He's empowering you guys to move out and take this message of his unfading love and grace to the whole world. I guarantee they won't be the same. So I asked the Lord, and literally what it means is when you, when you see this word stand, ultimately means we live. We live in him. We live, we abide, we're established, we have this covenant with him. Powerful word. So I said to the Lord, well, I didn't really say to the Lord, he said to me, would you like to see where that word comes up for the first time in the New Testament? I said, yeah, I'd like to see that. Now, God doesn't do that to me every time I preach. You know I don't preach the, the law of first mention every time I preach, but when he, when he prompts me, I do. Because one of the things I look for for the law of first mention is, always will it point to my daddy? <laughs> will it point to my Jesus? Will it point to daddy's goodness? Will it point to my Savior's love? I mean, I'm always looking. So would it point? Of course, if God prompts you, the Holy Spirit prompts you to go look, go look, because you'll always find it will. The first time that word stand, this word histemi in the Greek, comes up is in Matthew chapter 2, verse 9. Here's what it says. When they had heard the king, who's they? The wise men, the magi. When they had heard the king, who's the king? King Herod, wicked king. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, watch this now, till it came and stood. Stop. There's that word histemi. See, stood is just the past tense of stand, isn't it? It's the exact same word. He said, the, lo, the star came, and it stood. Stood what? Over where the young child was. Who is this young child? It's Jesus Christ. And so when he said, we have our standing in Christ, he's saying, listen, I'm going to point you back to the earliest time I used that word, and I'm going to show you it's always been about my son. It's always been about Jesus. Your standing is in him, except the good news is he's no longer a baby. He's not a baby anymore. And I'm going to tell you what the message of grace will do. It'll get your diaper off. This is the meat that the Word was telling you about when He said, you're, you're on milk. You know, people that are on milk usually wear diapers. They're usually little kids. But when you, when you get into the meat, you know, the diaper can come off. This is the solid food of God. It's the grace and the love of God. In Exodus, chapter 14, verses 9 through 14, Moses has led an exodus of people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. It says, but the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them in camping by the sea. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were so afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they came unto Moses because, they were, because there were no graves in Egypt. Has thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us like this, to carry us out of Egypt? Is not the word that we did tell you in Egypt, in other words, didn't we tell you before we left, let us serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said unto the people, this is a classic, classic scripture that we have used, all of us have used. He said, fear not. He said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. See, when you think of salvation, you always think about gospel, because it's the gospel. It's grace that saves you. In other words, in an Old Testament way, he was saying, stand still and watch the grace of the Lord work. Stand still and watch the salvation of the Lord work. Stand still, just take a stand. You know, there's more than one way to stand, but we're talking about our position when we think about our position in Christ, we stand still. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and we don't move. 
He said, I know you've seen all these circumstances come against you. I know the Egyptians are closing in on us. I see their chariots. I hear the roar of their chariots coming. I hear the warriors coming and stuff like that. But he said, stand still and watch the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians who you have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. You know what? I'm going to tell you what the message of grace has done for me. It's absolutely wiped my mind of law-based thinking. It took a while. So when I approach the scriptures, I see this, this grace threaded through the scriptures. And that's what the, the word of God will do as you sit and in your personal time and under other ministers, Joseph and all these guys, it just continually changes your way of thinking. And he says, the Lord shall fight for you, for ye shall hold your peace. The word peace in the Old Testament is the word shalom. You've heard of Jehovah Shalom? It literally means the God of peace, Jehovah, God, Shalom, peace. It literally means the God of nothing missing and nothing broken. That's what the Amplified says. There's nothing missing. We've got to quit looking at ourselves as, as we're missing in action. We've got to quit looking at ourselves as broken. The message of grace comes in. And you know, when the Bible says he sent his word and he healed all of our diseases, that word healed right there literally means, I love this, it means to mend with stitches. If I got a big cut right there and God comes down, you know what he does? He comes over and says, son, let me mend this with stitches because I want to touch you. I want to be close and personal to you. I'm going to heal you up. Whatever it is broken in our hearts, in our lives, it's our body, it's in our mind. I want to tell you today, he wants to mend you with the stitches. And how does he do that? It's the stitches of his love. It's the stitches of his goodness. It's the stitches of his grace. It's the stitches of his mercy. There's his incomparable riches. I believe that when it comes to standing, too many people have the Elton John mentality when they ought to have the El El Yon. You know what El El Yon means? El means God. El, El Shaddai. El is God. El Yon. So it says El El Yon. El El Yon means Most High God. God Most High. See, Elton John had this song called I'm Still Standing. And it's got crazy lyrics when you get into the chorus. I'm still standing better than I ever did. Looking like a true survivor, feeling like a little kid. I'm still standing after all this time, picking up the pieces of my broken life without you by my side. I'm still standing. Forget that kind of stuff. I'm not buying into that stuff. I'm buying into what El El Yan said. You can't find the word El El Yan in the English Bible, but you'll find it in the Hebrew Bible. Because when it would say God... Depending on which, which expression of his personality they were talking about, they would use the actual word. So when you go back into Genesis chapter 14, verse 18, that's the first time you find Most High God, El Elyon. And it says here in that scripture, and Melchizedek, you remember that name, Melchizedek? And Melchizedek, king of Salem, who's he's the king of? He's the king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. There's that El Elyon. Melchizedek was the priest of the Most High God. That's the first time it's, it's mentioned. I find this interesting because Melchizedek means king and he's from Salem. Melchizedek means king and Salem means complete or perfect peace. So what are we saying about Melchizedek? He's the king of complete and perfect peace. Who's this expression of? I mean, how many times have you heard Melchizedek compared to Jesus? They've, they've literally said not only that he's a type and shadow, but maybe even a pre-incarnate Christ. He's the king of perfect and complete peace. Well, what is going to bring us peace? It's only knowing how much God loves me. How much he loves me. We find ourselves, my wife and I, changing the lyrics to words when we're crying out, Oh, God, I need you. Oh, I need you. I love that song. It's got such a good melody. Oh, every hour I need you. We were singing on the way to church. No, it was like, Oh, God, you love me. Oh, you love me. Every hour you love me. 
Because you can't, you can't be in perfect peace until you know how much he loves you and how much grace is flowing from his throne. Oh my goodness. Friends, what the enemy does is if he cannot convince you that you're a failure, if he can't bring this fear on you, if he can't bring this condemnation upon you, if he can't bring this guilt and this shame, you know what the next thing he likes to do? He likes to make you feel like you're a survivor. I'm going to tell you what the problem I have with that word is it's not found in the Bible. You are not a survivor. You are not a survivor. You're an overcomer. There's a big difference. Mandisa got the song right. She understood when she sang the, the song Overcomer. She understood there would be times in our life that we would go through difficult times. That's how she starts that song off. She said, staring at a stop sign, watching people drive by, T-Mac on the radio. Got so much on your mind, nothing's really going right. Looking for a ray of hope. Whatever it is, she says, you may be going through. I know he's not, not, not going to let it get the best of you. You're an overcomer. Stay in the fight till the final round. You're not going under because God is holding you right now. You might be down for a moment, feeling like it's hopeless. That's when he reminds you, you're an overcomer. Friends, there's a difference between a survivor and an overcomer. We're overcomers in Christ. Oh my, in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, talks, begins to hint around to that. It says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. That means I'm more than conqueror. Through him who loved us. There's a benefit package that comes with knowing God. Oh, I know when we go to work, you, you get a new job, you got two weeks of vacation, you got five personal days, you got the 401k, you got the medical plan. But you know what the Apostle Paul said? He said, I count all of that rubbish. I count all that rubbish. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but having the righteousness which is by faith, the righteousness that which is by God, by faith. That lines right up with Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Friends, the revelation of Daddy's great love, when that begins to reign in our hearts, we're left with this unchangeable image, if you will, of what it means to stand in grace. How do we become overcomers? Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 and they overcame him. Who's him? Satan, the enemy. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimonies. Romans 8, 37, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. Can you get any more cohesive than that? We're more than conquerors. We've overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, that scripture begins with the word therefore. If you erase chapters 1 through 4, you would have no idea what he's talking about. Because the word therefore means for that reason. So you've got to go back and look for what's the reason? <laughs> what's the reason? God's saying we're justified by faith. The word justified means declared righteous. He's saying you're declared righteous by faith. Therefore, if I said to you, Therefore, you, you're going to be charged a late fee. You'd be like, what? There's no context. But if I said to you, because your car payment was received two weeks after its due date, therefore, you're going to be charged a late fee. Now you've got context, right? So it makes perfect sense to go back and say, well, what are you talking about here? In Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, we're talking about being justified by faith. By faith. Who do you see as the father of our faith in the Old Testament? You see it as Abraham. It says, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to brag about. He had something to boast about, but not before God. In other words, he could go out and tell all his family, he could go out and tell all his buddies, but he couldn't tell God that. He was not justified by God through anything but faith. 
What does the scripture say? Abraham, watch this now, believed God. It's that simple. Abraham believed God. Do you believe, I mean, our covenant is much like Abraham's because it's by faith. We're not under the Mosaic covenant. That's by law. Our covenant's a lot like Abraham, but it's better. It's better. Abraham, when he died, had to go into a holding tank until Jesus died and said, okay, let me get you out of the tank now. It was called Abraham's bosom. Remember that? Where all this, the, the people in paradise were locked up. We've got a better covenant. You know, the Bible says to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. That's a much better covenant. And it says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. All he did was believe God. And the word believe literally means to put your trust in. How did he do that? When did he do that? He did that in Genesis chapter 15. I won't read all the scriptures, but there was a time when God took Abraham outside and he said, Abraham, I want you to look up at the stars. And he says, I want you to count the stars. He said, if indeed you can. He said, so shall your offspring be. You can't count it all. But guess what? It will be by faith. And the Bible says, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. The covenant we have with the Lord is awesome. Let me close with this thought. When I was a, a little guy, we had the Sunday school contest. And whoever invited the most kids to, to church got to take an airplane ride with the pastor. He owned his own little aircraft. He was a pilot. So we thought that was cool. We were just out there beating the streets, inviting everybody and stuff like that. And I was one of the ones that had invited enough little kids and I got to go on that airplane ride with the pastor. There was two or three of us in that little um, small plane. And I'll never forget this. You know, you got those propellers going as it's flying. It's, it's got a lot of noise to it actually in a small plane. And I'll never forget this. He took us into a climb, a vertical climb. And guess what? A plane can only go so high and it will stall. It, it starts to sputter at first. And pretty soon, the, the engines die. It's amazing how silent it is. And we were falling backwards, upside down. It was a weird feeling. You had this sensation, I'm falling. And he let it fall for a little while. And then pretty soon, he turned that plane and I don't know if they just start automatically, how that worked exactly, but pretty soon those props started spinning again. Well, there was a, a story of a flight instructor. I, I'm getting the feeling that they all do this. A flight instructor who took a new student up, and this wasn't on his first occasion because he probably wouldn't have got a second occasion on him, but it was maybe the third or fourth time he had been up. He wanted to learn how to fly. This is what we do. And he created a scenario just like that. The plane stalled, it began to fall out of the sky, and this guy just panicked. He's looking at the, the flight instructor like, aren't you gonna help me? You, you, we're gonna crash and burn. Aren't you gonna help me? And finally, he got the plane under control. It started all back up again. And the flight instructor told him two things. He said, now I want you to turn around. I want you to go back up there and I want you to do that again but I want you to remember this. He said, there is no position that you can put this plane in that I cannot pull you out of. So it is with God. So it is with his message of grace. There is no position you can get yourself into. There is no condition, there's no circumstance, there's no situation that you can get yourself into that his grace cannot pull you out of. Friends, I want to tell you something. It wouldn't be a gift. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't have the, it wouldn't be the powerhouse gift that it is if I could mess it up. Yes, I can temporarily mess things up, but I'm so, I feel so good knowing that there's no situation I can get myself into. Whether it's premeditated or whatever it is, there's no sin. It doesn't make me want to go out and sin. But there's nothing I can do where God says, oh, you got beyond my reach. He is always, always with us. I've come by today to remind you of this marvelous grace, this extravagant love, this message of his outrageous generosity. I've come by today to remind you of the message of God's incomparable 
riches. Mm -mm -mm. How do you do that? Very simple. Our standing in grace never changes. Amen. You receive that word today? Father, I want to thank you. I have, I have stood before the people and I've preached the word exactly the way you gave it to me. We are not broken, fractured people. We are complete in Christ. I take great comfort in knowing no matter what situation I find myself in, there's nothing I can do to get beyond your grace. Your grace surrounds me. There's times in life when things are a little noisy. There's times in life where things grow silent. It's like the communication I have with, there's times where it seems like you're so talkative. And there's other times where it seems like you're so silent. But I know you're always there. And you're always, always faithful. And Father, I want to thank you that you have made a way for us into Christ where we can stand in this grace, this wonderful wonderful grace. Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, I thank you that Triumphant Grace Ministries will be a ministry that will always stand and with a multitude of scriptures will keep pointing back to your love, your mercy, your grace, and your incomparable riches. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You received that with grace today? Amen. That's the word of the Lord. I'm telling you, that's the word of the Lord. That was him. That was him. Amen.